2: Welcome to our couch Take a seat It's time for therapy
1: Movie therapy
2: I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture critic and co-author of How to Be Fine.
1: And I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday. In each episode of Movie Therapy, we offer up questionable advice and solid movie and TV recommendations for whatever ails you.
2: Now, note, we are not real therapists. We are not real doctors. But, Rafer, you and I are very real, living, breathing movie critics. <laughs>
1: That's right. We definitely We definitely are. Should we get to these weeks' letters?
2: Yes, let's do it. Our first letter this week is from Bill. Do you want to read it, Rafer?
1: Yeah, I'll read. I'll read what Bill has to say. He says, "Dear Rafer and Kristen, I hate to say it, but recent events have made me realize how poorly educated I am on issues of anti-black violence. Growing up, my mostly white schools only talked about black people during Black History Month." And when they did, they essentially framed racism as a thing of the past, mostly solved by Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks. And while I knew it wasn't that simple, I also didn't know how complex it was either. I admit, here and now, I'm a middle-class white dude who needs to know better and do better. I'm reading How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibrahim X. Kendi, as well as all the books on his anti-racism reading list. I'm donating to causes that work to fight against anti-Black violence, And I'm also hoping to watch some movies and TV shows. Are there any that have opened your eyes to the realities of anti-Black racism in America? If so, what were they? Kristen, kind of a heavy letter. What do you say?
2: I am so happy that we received this letter from you, Bill, because I just think we should all just say out loud we all could stand to learn more, especially those of us who are non-Black. I think sometimes... Even people who are people of color, like Rafer and I, Rafer is Mexican-American, I'm Asian-American. I think some people might think, you know, we know a lot of things that we may not know and we ne- we need to learn too, you know? Sure. Um, I think the learning should never stop ideally. So, Bill, thank you for writing in. And yeah, I, I will just say here and now, I learn all the time. And sometimes I'm very embarrassed by the things I don't know. Sometimes I have to adjust my views. Sometimes I stumble. Um I make mistakes and I just keep trying to fight the good fight. And hopefully, you know, every time I look back on something dumb, I thought 10 years ago, I see that as a good thing because that means I'm growing and learning. (laughs) And, and Bill, I hope you feel that way too, that, you know, where you're at now in 10 years, maybe you'll look back and you'll think, oh, gosh, I didn't know anything back then. I know more now. And then in another 10 years and another 10 years, at least that's how I look at myself. I hope that I keep on looking back at myself in 10 years and think, wow, I I had a lot of learning to do because I want to keep growing. So long way of saying I love this question. I think it's a necessary question right now. And I want to start off, Bill, by directing you to Slate's Black Film Canon. This is a list of 50 films by Black directors, and it was compiled a few years ago by Aisha Harris, who is Black and who's now at the New York Times. It is such an outstanding list. It is uh, movies that go back many, many decades all the way to the present, movies that are outstanding not just as Black films, but outstanding just as American films, as Uh, as films that we should all see. So start there. And then second, I want to tell you, Bill, about a film that I learned a lot from just a few years ago in 2016. It is called 13th. It's by Ava DuVarney. If you're not familiar with 13th, it is a documentary that looks at how the 13th Amendment, which abolished slavery, also had a clause in it that allowed for incarcerated people to essentially serve as slave labor. And it lays out in detail how, with this clause in mind, states and even corporations have worked to disproportionately incarcerate black people since 1865, putting them behind bars, sometimes for decades at a time, for such petty offenses as loitering, and also treating health issues in the black population like addiction, as wars to be fought, rather than health crises to be dealt with. And it paints a clear picture of how slavery Did not end with the Thirteenth Amendment, but you know, continued with it, but just in a different form. And I gotta say, I really learned a lot from this movie. I thought I understood certain things about our incarceration in America. There was so much I didn't understand until I saw this movie. Here's a clip.
0: One out of four human beings with their hands on bars, shackled, in the world are locked up here in the land of the free.
2: Khalif Browder was walking home from a party when he was stopped by police.
0: They said, We're going to take you to the precinct and most likely we're going to let you go home. And then I never went home. The 13th Amendment to the Constitution makes it unconstitutional for someone to be held as a slave. There are exceptions, including criminals.
2: The loophole was immediately exploited. What you got after that was a rapid transition to a mythology of Black criminality. One thing I also want to point out that I learned from 13th Rafer, um, you and I have both done a lot of studying film history and film theory. We know about Birth of a Nation being the first blockbuster in America and how it valorized KKK members. But what I didn't realize until I saw 13th was that Birth of the Nation actually was the first place crosses were lit on fire because they looked cinematic to D.W. Griffith, who made the movie. I did not know that. Those lit crosses never even existed before this movie. So Ah. um, it shows you the power of what cinema can do. And hopefully watching this movie will help you to learn a little bit more. It helped me to learn a little bit more. It was really helpful for me.
1: I've not seen... Thirteenth, um, But I think it's cool what Ava DuVernay is doing with um, Netflix and her Array production company and making all these black-led movies. I think that's really cool. Um, it's, that movie has been on my list of ones to watch. Um, as I always say, I'm pretty sure I have a copy of it in my top drawer, which is full of all my screeners, so I really should get to it. But um, I'm glad you recommended that one.
2: Yeah, definitely check it out. Everybody check it out. Even even those of you who are not named Bill, please watch this movie. It's, it's a really important movie, I think. What about you, Rafer? What are you going to recommend to Bill?
1: Uh, Bill, I'm going to recommend a movie from just a couple of years ago called Strong Island, a documentary from 2017 that was nominated for an Oscar. It's a first-person documentary by a filmmaker named Yancey Ford, who is African-American and grew up on Long Island in the 1990s. In 1992... His brother, William, was shot to death, not armed, by a white car mechanic over an argument about a bill. Uh, The shooter, a teenager named Mark Riley, claimed self-defense. Again, William, not armed, no gun. And the case went to an all-white jury in Suffolk County, and he was not indicted. He went free. Here's a clip from that documentary. Having grown up in the South, where the cops and the Klan were one and the same, my parents didn't turn to the police for protection. They had already felt that the police had turned their own son into the prime suspect in his own murder. So not only is the phone ringing, not only is there a car across the street, but there is the growing sense
2: that the DA is going to actually let this kid get away with murder. Now, Rafer, I haven't seen this movie But I think any movie that explains the stories or tells the stories of unarmed Black people being killed by police, it's really important to watch. Not just right now, but it's such a part of our history, such a long, ugly part of our history. And it happens every day. And um, I definitely need to see Strong Island. I've heard great things about it.
1: Yeah, it really got a uh, a lot of buzz at the time. I think what intrigued me about this movie was... I, I guess I would call this kind of like an emotional documentary because the filmmaker doesn't really have a lot to go on in terms of like traditional, uh, the idea that we're going to f- you know find some kind of new piece of evidence or a juror is going to come forward or a cop is going to come forward or, you know, that we'll land the big interview with the shooter who will tell all, you know, none of these people are going to talk. And so Yancey Ford is basically left to kind of interview himself, his mother, who's a heartbreaking character in the film, uh, some of his brother's friends. And it, I think what you, what you come away with from this movie is a feeling, this feeling in your gut, and nothing more, really, this feeling in your gut that says, wait a minute, even though there's nobody on record saying, you know, yep, I'm going to come forward and say I'm a racist and this whole thing was corrupt, there's nobody like that, there's no big file, there's no document. But you just, you look at this thing, and the case feels so clearly racist. You've got to ask yourself why it turned out this way. All you have to go on is a hunch, but you know it. You know it deep down. And... It's really compelling. I uh, when this film was coming out, played at the New Directors New Film Festival. I got to interview Yancey Ford, and I just found him to be a really just a really compelling figure. And so it's 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 not your traditional documentary. It's it's not a, it's it's very personal. But uh, to you, Bill, our listener, I would strongly recommend it. Strong Island. Um, it's on Netflix. Um, it's a fantastic film.
2: All right. So once again, Bill, those recommendations are from Rafer, Strong Island. And for me, 13th.
1: All right. We're going to take a quick break. But before we do, are you in a predicament where you could use some questionable advice and a good movie recommendation? Write to us at RaferAndKristen at gmail.com.
2: You can also visit our website, which is RaferAndKristen.com, and use the contact form there. That's the way most people reach us, actually, is through our website. It's a cute website. You can see what Rafer and I look like. (laughs) And you can send us those questions. And you do not have to use your real name. All right. Stay with us. When we're back, we have someone who has a question that's unlike any we've ever heard.
1: That's the IGN Daily Update, wherever you get your podcasts. We're back with our second letter of the week. This one is from Christy, and I'm
2: going to throw this one to you, Kristen, to read. Sure. So Christy says, by the way, this is just such an unusual letter. (laughs) Christy says, it. Dear Rafer and Kristen, I am dating a wonderful man who has two small boys. They are sweet and adorable, and we get along just fine. I am a bit of a movie buff and can appreciate a good kids' film or show, and I want to share couch time with the little dudes, especially when they wake me up at 6 a.m. But herein lies the problem. The four-year-old is obsessed with stealing fans. More specifically, he's obsessed with the simple YouTube tutorials of men installing ceiling fans. Surprisingly, these are plentiful. Not surprisingly, they are the most painfully boring thing you could ever dream up. They have no storyline or colorful images or music or anything interesting at all. I have no idea of how this obsession got started, but it is mostly the only thing they want to watch aside from the occasional wind turbine tutorial or abstract Norwegian music video featuring fan-like objects. Sometimes a plain video works because the wings look like effing fan blades. Please help. (laughs) (laughs) I love
1: it. I love it.
2: Is this a real letter, Christy? Are you kidding us?
1: Oh, it's real. Oh, it's real. Listen, I, I had two kids, and I'm telling you this is real. This is real. My kids got obsessed with slightly more typical things. They got obsessed with bulldozers, construction equipment. And, you know, at that time, I mean, YouTube was certainly a thing, uh, uh, of course. But, um, you know, we were kind of searching everywhere for things that would keep them interested. And it was the same. It was the same thing. You know, you you looked around for construction porn. You know, anybody who had filmed 20 <laughs> solid minutes of a, of a digger just scooping up dirt and putting it in a different pile. Scooping up dirt, put it in a different pile. <laughs> And I mean, it, uh, listen, it drives you nuts, you you, you know, because you got to sit there and watch it. You know, it's it's one thing, I guess, when you're sort of out in the street and you can kind of wave to the construction worker and maybe gives you he gives you kind of a patient smile, ha ha, yes, hi dad, hi kid, a little something. But oh my god, when you're just at home watching hours and hours of this stuff, oh, it'll drive you nuts.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, Reefer, I'm so glad you gave confirmation this is a real letter because. I initially thought, I'm like, is Christy <laughs> pulling our leg? Is this a real situation? <laughs> you thought you just made it this up. This could not be a real situation. But I am not the parent of two small boys, and you have been the parent of two small boys. So oh boy. if you're saying it's true, I believe you. It's, it's true. true.
1: <laughs> it's true. The struggle is real. Yes, it's real.
2: <laughs> well, what what is the... Prescription, then, as far as what to do in this situation, other than to just watch more fan videos.
1: Well, to our listener, Christy, it sounds to me like you've pretty much found the home remedy. You know, you've you've gone you've gone to the interwebs and you've found everything they have to offer there, and that's and that's smart, and I'm sure that those kids will love you for it. So I think I would say good job there. But I will recommend <laughs> one movie. I'm going to take a little bit of a gamble on this. And uh, I think it might work, especially because your kids are are young. I'm going to recommend a movie from 1967 called Playtime. It's uh, a movie by Jacques Tati, French filmmaker, uh, who was kind of considered the uh, the French Charlie Chaplin uh, in the 60s, or, or even higher honor, the French Jerry Lewis. And in the mid 1960s, oh, <laughs> I, knew, I just said that to get your goat, Kristen.
2: You know I'm not a fan of his.
1: <laughs> so, but Jacques Tati was really like, you know, he was a real national treasure. And um, he had this vision to make a movie about life in a modern city. And so he actually built a city, he built an entire city just outside Paris. It took about 100 construction workers. And then he filmed this movie in that city for about three years to create this movie called Playtime. And it's a hard movie to describe. It doesn't, I know, Christy, you were talking about a plot, a story. It doesn't really have that. It's a hard movie to describe, but it's basically a a Busby Berkeley musical, but without dancing girls. Uh, Instead, you've got machines and you've got elevators and cars and revolving doors and uh, people eating in restaurants and, and waiters serving them. Everything is in motion, and the whole movie is basically just a series of things that are kind of fun, slash funny, slash beautiful to look at. You know, there there are kind of slapstick moments, like there's a glass door that shatters, so the doorman just stands there and holds the leftover doorknob in the same spot and pretends to open the door for people as they go through little things like that. But some of it's kind of sweet and and kind of pretty and and just pleasant. Um, This movie is in French, and there's almost no dialogue in it at all, so I can't really play a a, a clip of it, but I, I will play this little bit of the music, which I think will give you an idea of the mood of the film. So here it is.
2: I've heard of this movie. I've seen little bits and pieces of it. It actually is quite famous. Yeah. Um. But I've never watched it all. I've never seen it beyond a few 30-second clips here or there. Right. Uh, it is a different era of movie. It's very magical. And, you know, I the only thing I wonder, Rafer, is with attention spans of children today, do you think they can handle it? You know, my my idea,
1: and, and again, let me just say this is best case scenario. My idea would be that it's something like something like a Teletubbies effect. You know, you're just, you're just, you're just kind of watching this stuff. You know, it's a little, there's a, something a little <laughs> bit zen about it. And I didn't discover this film until, uh, I mean, I'd known about this film for many years, but again, I'd never seen it until not that long ago and was just totally smitten with it. Um, otherwise, I would have shown it to my kids when they were, you know, four or five or so. Anyway, so that's, that's, my, that's my bit of a gamble of a, of a pres- prescription there, playtime.
2: Love it, Rafer. I love it. You always come out with the hits that most people haven't seen. You you bring out things from the vaults that are like very surprising. <laughs> <You're> right.
1: <laughs> and Kristen, how about you? What do you, What do you suggest for for these for these ceiling fan kids?
2: All right, I am going to suggest something that is pretty mainstream for our generation because it was in syndication through all of our childhoods. It focused on a family named George and his wife, Jane, and their two kids. Ah. It is a little show from Hanna-Barbera that was uh, first produced and released in the 1960s. And it imagined a future in 2062. And the name of the show is The Jetsons.
0: Hey, Rosie, is this how to sink a basket? Very good, Roy boy. Except you'll have to learn to let go of it. Not tonight, Elroy. It's time to blast off for Dreamland. Well, okay. If Rosie tucks me in
2: and tells me about the cow that they gravitated over the moon. Miss, I gotta hear too.
0: Will you, Rosie? Yes, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Good night, ma'am.
2: Now, there are a lot of things here that I think are great about the Jetsons. Each episode's only about 20 minutes. Uh, It's colorful. It's fun. It actually has a storyline for you, Christy. And for the kids, it has all sorts of fun, mechanical and robotic things that they might enjoy. For example, the Jetsons have a housekeeper named Rosie the Robot. And, you know, every part of Rosie opens up and other machines come out of her. So (laughs) if they like that kind of thing, if they like mechanics and so on, they can see that in Rosie. If they want to see 3D printed food, that's actually a part of this universe too. They have things that, you know, Actually exist nowadays, like smartwatches, but they also have things like kids taking jetpacks to school and uh, planes yeah. that people drive around that fold up into briefcases. So uh, visually, it's a lot of fun to watch, and it also has a lot of those mechanical things that I think the kids in your life might find really delightful and appealing, or I hope they will. And when I think of the Jetsons, I think, oh, what a fabulous universe that was! As a kid, I just devoured it. What I didn't realize is it only ran for one season. And my poor parents probably had to sit there while I watched the same 22 yeah. episodes over and over and over again for five years. Straight.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, the Jetsons, the Jetsons were great. They were the, the flip side of the of the Flintstones, basically. The Flintstones were in the past. The Jetsons were in the future. I don't know why the Jetsons didn't take off, especially since it was sort of at the very, uh, maybe not quite the peak, but sort of the peak of all that great kind of space age architecture, all that googie architecture and stuff. Um I also love, uh, again, just like the Flintstones, I love the way the Jetsons always dealt with uh, teenage pop culture and sort of the, the rise of the teenager at the time. I always remember Judy Jetson falling for different, like, sort of space age teen idols um, do you remember that one great pop song Eep Op Ork ah, ah that means I love you
2: Eep. I ah, always loved orc, that song ah, ah, Eep ah, I am not going to sing anymore people will turn this off if they hear me sing anymore but <laughs> not bad. Um, oh yeah it was great it, it's such a delightful show it's, it's so fun totally totally All right, so once again,
1: for Christy, our recommendations are, from me, Playtime from 1967. Interestingly, from kind of the same decade, from Kristen, the animated series, The Jetsons from Hanna-Barbera,
2: 1962 to 1963. All right, we're going to take one more quick break, but when we're back, we have our What Should I Watch Next segment for the week.
0: Hey, Matt, did you know that wombats poop cubes?
2: We are back. And for this week's What Should I Watch Next segment, we have a very special guest today, Karina Longworth. Karina hosts the podcast, You Must Remember This, which Ray, for you, and I are huge fans of. And for anyone who loves Hollywood history, it is a must listen. Karina also co-hosts a new show called It's the Pictures That Got Small, and in each episode of that show, she and her co-host Nate pick a movie that they've heard is great but never found the time to watch, and then they watch it and break it down. It is also a ton of fun. Karina, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
1: Okay, Karina, uh, we're very honored that, uh, that a bona fide film person like yourself is uh, asking for advice from us. <laughs> uh, so we understand that you stumbled upon a film that you were sort of surprised that you had never seen with a major star. Um, what, what, is this, what is this film?
0: Well, for the podcast I've been doing, it's The Pictures That Got Small. We've been trying to watch only movies we haven't seen before. And so we recently watched The Verdict, starring Paul Newman. And Paul Newman is, you know, one of the greatest stars of all time. He was somebody that I personally really like. And I thought I had sort of seen all of the big Paul Newman movies. Um, And then I realized, you know, I, I hadn't seen The Verdict. It's great. Yes. You know, FYI. <laughs> but in, in watching yes. it and, and learning kind of more about it, I, it made me realize that there are dozens of Paul Newman films that I've never seen. And not only have I never seen, but nobody's ever mentioned them to me. I've never heard of them. Um, and so it just made me wonder, you know, are there any other movies like that that feature a huge star that for some reason have just completely fallen out of the conversation that you guys recommend?
1: Well, Kristen,
2: do you, want, do you want to go first? Do you want me to take this? What do you think? I love the question, first of all, Karina. I, I love that you're trying to see movies that maybe people don't know about. Um, and, Rafer, I'm actually going to let you go first.
1: Oh, boy. You will, <laughs> Christian. Okay. This is this is uh, Karina. I, f- I feel a little silly trying to uh, think of a of a movie to recommend to you. It's 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 like, it's like when my friends try to uh, you know tell me something new about David Bowie or something. You know, it's like <laughs> that, that 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 can't be done. I know I know all, but I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it a shot. Uh, if I fall on my face, just just say it. Just tell me. Uh, the star that I'm thinking of is Warren Beatty, and the movie that I'm thinking of. Is from 1978. It's Heaven Can Wait. Have you seen it?
0: Yeah, I have. Ah, oh, she's seen oh, darn it. it. It's too difficult. Darn it. <laughs> it's too difficult.
1: Okay, listen, listen. I know. So, okay.
0: But listen. it's interesting. Do you I feel know. like Do you okay. feel like Heaven Can Wait is a movie that people today don't talk about anymore?
1: I feel like I never hear anyone talk about it. You know, it was Warren Beatty's first directing gig. And granted, he, he, he co-directed it with um, Buck Henry, and he, and he wrote it uh, with uh, none other than, than Elaine May. Um, I've always liked it. I don't know. Uh, Karina, what did you think? Did you like this movie?
0: Yeah, I've seen it a bunch of times, actually, um, because I'm a huge Warren Beatty fan. It's actually rare for me to to stumble across a, a Warren Beatty film that I hadn't seen, although there's one on the Criterion channel right now, um, or maybe it just disappeared, but it's, it's with him and Goldie Hawn, and it's just called Dollar Sign. <laughs> Um, and so I didn't get a chance to watch that yet.
1: <laughs> okay, well, for everyone else, uh, heaven can wait. It's a it's a remake of a, of, an, of an old film uh, from the from the forties. Here comes Mr. Jordan. It's one of these kind of uh, supernatural slash uh, fantasy rom coms, sort of a predecessor to Ghost, I guess you'd say. Uh, uh, Warren Beatty plays Joe Pendleton. He's a quarterback for the LA Rams. He dies in a bicycling accident. Um, But it's a mistake. The angels took him too soon. Uh, His body's been cremated. It's too late to do anything about it. And now they've got to return him to Earth in another body. So he chooses to be a millionaire named Leo Farnsworth. Uh, Not so much to be rich, but mostly because it gives him a chance to get to know this beautiful do-gooder named Betty Logan, played by Julie Christie. We're going to play a clip here in which uh, Warren Beatty, still a ghost... Uh, lays eyes on Julie Christie for the first time and then we'll hear also a little bit of James Mason as the angel Mr. Jordan encouraging Warren Beatty to kind of uh, step in and take over the body and here's the clip
2: I've come 8,000 miles Mr. Abbott in order to do something about a terrible injustice that this man Leo Farnsworth has perpetrated on hundreds of innocent defenseless people
0: somebody ought to help her you can help her Joe you can be Farnsworth
2: if Mr. Farnsworth doesn't see me I don't
1: know what I'll do. Is that some sort
2: of a threat, Miss Logan?
1: Yes. Well, I'd like to help her, but I don't want to be Farnsworth.
2: The decision is yours, well, Charlie. Logan, you give me no choice. Sit!
1: Well, let me ask you something. If I had to be Farnsworth, could we do it temporary? Yes.
0: We could arrange that if you wish it.
2: All right, I'm just going to admit here and now, I am the one person here who has not seen this movie. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's all right, Kristen. But
2: apparently, I'm missing out, huh?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm Warren Beatty is one of those people who I have a hard time being objective about because he was sort of one of the first movie stars that was really important to me. Um, but yeah, I love having him Wave. Yeah, wow. it's a
1: it's it's really it's a great it's 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 maybe not as kind of glamorous and spiffy as the original, but um, it's got a lot of the same elements, including the big white jetliner that takes people off to the to heaven. And I don't know, I think it's really charming um, and. Uh, I'm disappointed that I couldn't uh, introduce you to a new one. I just, I, but you know, how come you've seen? How come you've seen Heaven Can Wait, but you hadn't seen the verdict? That's surprising, <laughs> Karina. That's so funny. I thought I'd stump you.
0: I think it's because my mom was a really big Warren Beatty fan, and when I was growing up, he was still kind of the right. president of Hollywood.
1: Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. All right, Kristen, maybe you will have maybe you'll have better luck uh, than I than I will.
2: All right, Karina, I'm going to do something completely different here. You did not ask for another Paul Newman movie, but I'm going to give you another Paul Newman movie. And this is a very important one because it is his last movie. It's called Cars. It's from Pixar. And Paul Newman, as you may know, was a great lover of race car driving. He was a racing enthusiast. So it's kind of the perfect final note to end his career on. And it is a delightful animated film uh, centering on the story of a little race car named Lightning McQueen, played by Owen Wilson. And Paul Newman plays a Hudson Hornet named Doc, who it is revealed in the movie is a former three time Piston Cup winner, and he ends up being a mentor to Lightning McQueen. And here is a clip
1: You have three Piston Cups. How could you? I knew you couldn't drive. I didn't know you couldn't read.
2: You're the Hudson Hornet.
1: Wait over it, flows like I told you. Of
2: course. I, I can't believe I didn't see it before. You're the fabulous Hudson Hornet. You still hold the record for most wins in a single season. Oh, we got to talk. You got to show me your tricks, please. I already
0: tried that. I mean, you won the championship three times. Look at those trophies. You look. All I see is a bunch of empty cups.
2: All right, Karina, have you seen the movie Cars?
0: I have not. Um, Yeah, I don't have any kids in my life, so I don't see a lot of of animated films, but um, I'm happy to see another Paul Newman film I hadn't seen.
2: Oh, my gosh. Okay, he is pretty good at it. He's he's a delight in it. And you can tell his love of cars, his love of telling just like a simple story of the little guy coming back from behind all of those things. He's just a delight in it. He really is. You can feel the Paul Newman magic, even though you never see him in the movie.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing for me is that, you know, even a Paul Newman movie that is sort of lower tier or in which, like, the, you know, the oh. writing isn't very good or whatever it is, like, you still get to look at Paul Newman, <laughs> which is <laughs> thrilling. <laughs> so that might be why well, I've not so sought out one. Cars. Oh, gosh.
2: It is great to look at him. I will say that. He's great to look at, but... Even just hearing his voice is pretty special too. So, if you're willing to just hear his voice and not look at him, then I recommend Cars to you.
0: Okay, I'll give it a try. All
2: right. Oh my gosh. Karina Longworth is going to watch Cars, people. That's right. <laughs>
1: Next thing you know, she's going to have the lunchbox. It'll be amazing. We're all waiting for it.
2: Well, Karina, thank you so much again for joining us. We so appreciate your being here today. Uh, again, Karina's shows are You Must Remember This, and it's the pictures that got small. Thanks, Karina.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Well, that's it for this week's episode of Movie Therapy.
2: Yes, it is. Thanks again to the great Karina Longworth. And please don't hesitate to reach out if you need some questionable advice and some solid TV and movie recommendations at RaferAndKristen at com.
1: Once again, that's RaferAndKristen at com. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at Rafer Guzman and at Kristen Meinzer, and on our website, which is RaferAndKristen.com.
2: Please rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Give us five stars. That'd be awesome. We'll take four also, but five would be preferable. (laughs) (laughs) And please tell your friends about the show as well. It really does help a lot.
1: Until next time, I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Krista Meinzer. Thank you for listening.
2: Bye-bye.